Well, we are looking at the story of redemption. It's an amazing, overwhelming story. We looked at Adam, and then we looked at the heart of Abraham into the life of Moses, David. And now we're going to get into the passage of Scripture that's both amazing and difficult. It's the part where you have the kings and the prophets. It's a trend of God blessing his people. They trusted him. And then for the reason of pride, they reached this attitude to say, God, we don't need you anymore. And they turned from him. God would send a messenger to call them back. And through a series of very important things that we learn about God, we see that many times they would bow their knee in repentance to the Lord. But then the the cycle would happen again. I have chosen Zedekiah because he's one of these people that we rarely hear about, but yet we see in this real flesh and blood person this process. We're going to learn so much about God by looking into his life, but there's so much about the whole issue of pride that we will not get to the details of his life until tonight. Now, I'm aware that there's like a game tonight. But I would encourage you, use technology, take that, come to church, and let's learn something about God. Tonight, we'll see this unique facet where God is willing to discipline his children. But it's never to pay us back. It's to win us back. Oh, I feel so strong about that point. But again, if we started there, we we start too far in the story. When you look at Zedekiah, when you look at that entire part of the scripture, the word to describe it is pride. One of the oldest sins. One that is not over with yet. One that continues to be the greatest enemy of our heart, the greatest enemy of our life. I began to list things in my mind of the evil influence, the destructive influence of pride. It destroys relationships. You can't relate to people the way God wants you to if pride is in your heart. When you're trying to puff yourself up, you'll have to put them down. And that is not the formula for a healthy relationship. Pride keeps us stuck in a stronghold. It takes humility to admit that we need God and we need his power. And without humility, pride will keep us stuck in the addiction. Pride will keep us from the full potential of our call and our giftings. I mean, this this is a huge topic. And any one of the things I just put on the list could be a sermon. But as I processed and prayed, I I felt to drill down even deeper. So, So we've got to have our Bibles ready today and see many passages of Scripture so that we get a hold of how powerful and destructive pride is and how powerful and liberating humility is. Are you ready, church? I mean, there's a rich presence of God here. There's no way to give ourselves away while at the same time we do CPR on our own ego out of our own hot air. See, the propensity is for us to build our kingdom rather than God's kingdom. It it is a daunting convicting task to stand in front of a group of people and talk about pride and humility. I want to tell you that I'm a proud man on a path to learn humility by the grace of God. If in any way I come across like I've got this figured out, you just need a couple minutes with my wife, my kids. Because this, this enemy 
This battle rages every day, the battle of pride or giving of ourselves and not caring who gets the credit. For the church that will serve God and not care who gets the credit, but that only God would be glorified, is a church that is going to be found trustworthy to God. See, we often hear messages on can God be trusted. This is a message where God gets to ask, can he trust us? To really pour out blessing so that in our humility we would not heap it up and stack it up as piles of blessings just to ourselves. But we'll turn this grace and this love to people who don't yet know him. And we won't care if our name is ever mentioned. We won't care if any credit comes to us. We just want God to be glorified. Remember, the gospel dream is to make much of God. The American dream is to make much of ourselves. We want to live to make much of God. So are you ready? Let's go to Ezekiel. Now, when we read Ezekiel, it's talking to a king. But you've got to hear it on different levels because that's the way it was written. You're going to see the strong context for talking about Satan. We're going to go all the way back. Get a hold of this biblical picture. Look at verse 11 of Ezekiel 28. Then this further message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. Give him this message from the sovereign Lord. So it's to the king of Tyre, but notice it's going to go deeper. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. Now notice this. You were in Eden. The garden of God. Now there it takes us deeper. Look down to verse 14. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. He has a specific assignment and place within the plan. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence, and you sinned. Now notice this. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. All scholars will point that right to the verse that talks about seeing Satan fall from heaven. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all of your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. Notice verse 17. Your heart was filled with pride. We're going back. Look with me now. The book of Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 14. Very important passage of scripture. Isaiah 14. We're going to pick up the reading at verse 12. We, we must see this picture. Isaiah 14. Starting at verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, other versions say you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens. Are we seeing a personal pronoun here? And be like the most high. 
I, I, I will preside. I will climb. I will ascend. You are getting a vision into a realm that we can't see with the natural eye. And it's a very important picture because it takes us all the way back to where we see how early this sin prevailed. Now in Revelation 5, we talk uh, about heaven and you see this mighty throne upon which God is seated and around him are angelic beings and they are declaring the worship of God. Another realm that the scripture talks about, but we don't see it with the natural eye. Do we all agree that there is a realm that's just as real as this realm? It is a spiritual realm, and often we are taken in the Scripture and lifted and given an insight into that realm. So you're seeing the Scripture on those levels today. There is this realm where God is worshipped. And he says, Jesus actually said it, if ever that stopped, the very rocks would cry out. Isaiah expanded it and said, I saw the temple filled with his glory and the whole earth is filled with his glory. I mean, it, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And so you get a picture of God being worshipped and all of the glory is going to God. And then the psalmist gets involved and says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day and night, they pour forth speech and knowledge. There, there is this ever-widening circle of worship all to the glory of God. And now we have this angel, Lucifer, the morning star, who in his heart says, I want some of that. Pride starts when I resent my place and God's place. Pride, we see in the devil's heart saying, you know, he has all of the glory. He has all of the focus. Pride is that evil enemy that when transcendent, incredible things are happening around us all to the glory of God, it'll put the focus on ourselves and we say, wait a minute, I want some of that. Oh, this is a primal sin. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. It's coming on the screen. Genesis 3. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. Next screen, if you will. You won't die. Live. That's Romans chapter 12. Hold that verse. Let me tell you what it says you know God knows if you eat of this fruit you will be like God that's what Genesis 3 4 says he knows that if you eat of this fruit you will be like God and so Eve took of the fruit because it's that primal sin of wait a minute I want some of that I'm resenting my place and his place see to start with Zedekiah is to miss this epic story and the evil influence, and the fact that it's part of our story from the beginning. This runs deep. Genesis, we, we see this sin. So anytime that you find yourself wanting to inflate self and puff up self and worship self, you are tapping in, and we are tapping in to a primal sin, an old sin, a sin of which God says he hates. There's not a lot of things in the scripture where God says, I hate that. But pride is one of those things that the scripture says God hates it. It's so destructive. Oh, to live free of pride. 
the incredible influence. And I want to take you there, but first, we've got to see just how dark this is. What are we learning at this point? That pride always starts when we refuse to accept God's place and our place. We see that in the language of Genesis chapter 3, when Satan says to Eve, you will be like God. You'll get some of that. You'll get in the big chair. We, we have the little chair, but we want the big chair. It turns the focus to ourselves. It shrinks our world, and it becomes an exercise in missing the point. Notice the word turn in the scriptures we read. There was a, a turning of the heart. There are these episodes, moments that happen in our day, in our life, and it gives us a revelation on what's really inside. I spoke recently at ORU and I talked about humility. That was on a Friday. On a Saturday morning, I had to coach an elementary basketball game. If you have to coach an elementary basketball game on Saturday, don't preach on humility on Friday. (laughs) Because you will get a moment where you realize what's in your heart. We were playing and And we had set up this play. We drove the ball inside, and I felt we were getting fouled. And so I I was not talking to the referee (laughs) directly. I was talking to my team so that he could get the message. With words like, keep doing that because they are fouling you. After the game, remember I spoke at ORU on Friday. This is Saturday morning. It hadn't been 24 hours. And after the game, and and that's about the extent of what I did, but I just want to tell you, the message was clear. I was talking to the ref. And the ref comes up to me after the game, and he says, hey, great game. Of course, we got beat. And uh, he, he, he says, great sermon yesterday in chapel. And I just thought, wow. (laughs) Do you understand? I started this sermon saying, I am a proud man on a pursuit of humility by the grace of God. I found there was a moment, see, moments get created. Hey, what's the deal with the express lane anger? You count the items. And traffic. Is it really just anger about traffic or does it go back to there's, there's something, I am being violated here. There's something going on. This thing runs so deep. It, it blinds us to reality. Now, anytime we resent our place and God's place, it's going to lead to the next level. We're going to resent the place of others. Had a person say to me, not long ago, Pastor, I don't want you to pray for me. I'm just going to be very honest with you. When I meet people, there seems to be this subconscious checklist, and I'm checking out who they are as it compares to who I am, what they have, what they do, the gifts they have, and, and I find myself trying to figure out, am I up here to them or down here? And if I want up them in a certain way, then I invite them into my circle of friends. And if I'm down here and they have the bigger chair, then I tend to not want to really cultivate 
the relationship. Now, this person is being very honest with me, and I thought, you know, I think that happens more often than any of us would like to admit. They're thinner than I am, prettier than I am, stronger than I am, more athletic than I am, have more money. Look at their car, look at my car. Look at their job, look at their status, look at their title. And if I am dealing with pride and ego and they one-up me in one of those areas, then I won't open to what could be maybe a great friendship. Because I've got this subconscious list going on in my heart. See, when I resent God's place in my place, I'm going to then resent the place of others. Pride is destructive to relationships. I'll look at someone and their ability... And I'll go, wow, they, they are so good. They can do that in their sleep. And here I pay for lessons and still can't do that. And so what happens? I become ungrateful. And I say things like this. I wish I could be like them. And God, why didn't you give me their talent? And what, what is at the heart of that? Is it not going back to the primal sin. I don't like my place. I, I haven't found a peace with who I am in God and so I'm posturing and calculating and, and anytime there's an ungratefulness, it does lead to an anger. It does lead to thoughts like I, I've been done wrong. God hasn't been fair to me. I deserve better. And people live ungrateful and they live with this low-grade anger or a major anger. And I don't know if often enough we tie anger as in its place of origin, which is pride. If we can deal with pride, we will deal with ingratitude and anger. And then I don't get road rage because someone is in front of me. You know, you just can't pass everybody. Some people drive as though they can ultimately pass everyone. And then you got to love it where they're doing construction on roads and there's the sign and it tells you that uh, uh, the lane is ending and only one lane will be available. And two miles back when you saw the sign the first time, you did, you're a good citizen and a man, a woman of God and you got over in the lane that, that, was going to be the only lane, but all these other sinners just kept coming right beside you. And, and when it finally became just one lane, they're up there begging, and you're like, oh, in the name of Jesus, you're not getting in here. You vile rank sinner. Oh, I just... Have you ever done that? If I've done that to you, forgive me, please. You know, we got the fish on the bumper. Bumpers that follow me to Sunday school. Some people said, hey, pastor, we ought to get the assembly.org as bumper stickers. I said, no, not until we get more like Jesus. <laughs> now, where, what's the big deal if someone <laughs> needs in? Where does the depth of that come from? Hmm. (laughs) 
You guys pray for those in the second service because I'm going to pour it on big time there. So do, do you see how, how and, and see, I, I, I spent a lot of my time in church world, and I can tell you what I've learned over 20-plus years of pastoring a church. If pride ever walks on the platform, God walks right off. And it can still sound good and look good and impress people. But there can be more posturing and stuff that goes on within church. And yet we are, we are here to be a witness. We, we need to start here. You start with us. Start with me, God. Start with me. So, so enough of just looking at the dark side. Is there a workable lead at confronting this? It's real. We all accept it. We know how this works. Can I deal with it? Well, that would take us... To Romans 12, 16, look at this verse. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. (laughs) I just want to stop right now and let someone else preach this. Notice he combines in the verse harmony with people and dealing with pride. Because here's the first, here's the first lead on dealing with it. I cannot pursue harmony with you and be puffing myself up at the same time because I can't have a good relationship, an authentic relationship with you if I'm trying to one-up you by puffing myself up. If I've got to make myself look good by making you look badly, then I am not going to be living in harmony with you. So if I really will try to live in harmony with people, it makes me deal with pride. I want to deal with this, so here is one way to go about it. Now, again, I have said to you, I've kind of been raised in church, and I've been raised in a Pentecostal church, a full gospel church that gave place for the gifts of the Spirit, for the edifying of the saints. And so there would be messages in tongues and interpretation of tongues. And so I can tell you growing up, watching people being used in the amazing gifts of God, which I believe are very real, It created some issues in my heart when I watched some of those people incredibly used of God be the meanest people I'd ever known. Is that not exactly what was going on in the the Corinthian church? See, what does it matter if I have all this talent or these incredible gifts if I can't be kind? And yet... Such a reality. I, I, I let this voice go over in your head every day. Let's get some new tapes. Here's a, here's a new grid. I, I want to put others above myself. I want to consider others. I, I really will make an effort to prefer other people. And if I really try that, I'm going to be automatically dealing with the pride in my own heart. And when I have those moments, here's, here's something that happened. I forget exactly when, but this guy comes up and says, Oh, Pastor, I may have heard you talk now 30 or 40 messages, and they blessed me, they blessed me. I want, and he was talking about what a blessing, and I'm going, Wow, I'm just, I'm feeling, I'm, I'm being, wow, this is good. Keep, keep it coming. Uh, and then he says, But that guest you had last week, now that person reached me. He had spent like 10 minutes on these 30 or 40 messages that I've given. But he says, but let me tell you, he, now he reached me. And now I should say, praise God. 
But in my heart, I'm going, no, no. I'll never have that guy again. Because I want to reach you. See how ugly that, see, you're going to have moments. You may have a moment in a hallway before this service is over. Or, or at, not before, because you're going to stay here until the sermon's over. Uh, after the sermon, preferably, where you get an opportunity to find out what's in your heart. And if you find that it has some pride, then deal with it by trying to live in harmony. Think how this would work in a marriage if you preferred your spouse, if you esteemed your spouse more than yourself, if you sought to serve your spouse more than being served, if you sought harmony. What a powerful message it is. Now, we've got to hurry on. I don't have but a couple of minutes. Turn to Corinthians and we'll land this plane and ask the Lord to forgive us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians, it's on the screen. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Look at it in the NIV. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? You know, there's nothing more powerful than a well-placed question. A laser-like question. A string of words with a question mark at the end can rearrange priorities. It can cause us to think. It can change our life. Paul walks into this congregation, the Corinthian church, and they were puffing themselves up because they were so talented, so gifted, so blessed, like most American churches. Gifted, blessed, enriched in so many ways. And he walks into this church because the Corinthian church, they were puffing themselves up. They were full of pride. And Paul posed the question, and it was a laser-like question, like a punch in the gut of God's convicting spirit. And he says, for who makes you different from anyone else? And the question was to cause them to think, which would lead to the logical answer, it's only God. So I am who I am only by the grace of God. So why would I ever boast if all that I am is because of God? That was... Paul's anointed approach at dealing with this pride that was in the Corinthian church. Let's just try that on for just a moment. For who makes you different from anyone else? I just, I'll testify. God chose to reveal himself to me. God found me. God revealed himself to me. God saved me. God gave me grace. God, he didn't have to. He He took my shame. He took all of the sin. As I walk down memory lane, all I have to tell you is that who I am is only by the grace of God. There's no other part to the story. It's all grace. So how could I ever boast? And if that question's not enough, what do you have that you did not receive? What's the answer for the difference about you? It's God. He's the Savior. What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. Nothing. Think about it. We're given skills. I I quoted the great theologian Nacho Libre last week. Let me quote Napoleon Dynamite, another great theologian, who talks about skills. Bow hunting skills and nunchuck skills. Everyone has a skill set. Everyone. Everyone. Where did it come from? 
What I'm saying is that everyone has an area of knowledge and you can study in that area and it becomes your specialty. Where did the mind come from to be able to figure that out? The mental ability to understand it, comprehend it, and apply it and then succeed as a result of it. Where did that come from? We often hear about assessments. You can do gift assessments. And if you come down, you have this gift and this gift and this. Where did the gifts come from? We're breathing. Who is giving us breath? Who's causing our lungs to work right now and our heart to beat? Where's the energy coming from and the motivation to use the skill that he's given us? Where it came from God. What do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. So if I am who I am by the grace of God, and I have all that I have by the grace of God, then who am I to boast about anything? All of life is a gift. You're a gift. You're a gift to me, so I don't have to posture or calculate. I can appreciate you for the gift of God that you are, and I can appreciate the gifts God has given you. I can listen to Sean sing, and instead of saying, well, God didn't give me a voice like that, and live in a shrinking world of pride, I allow my heart to be blessed by his gift and your gift. And we don't come into this church sizing one another up and having this internal checklist. We come looking for evidences of grace. What a great person you are. and What a great job you're doing. And man, I want to spur you on because you're a blessing. It's all grace. It's all grace. In Genesis 12, there's a guy by the name of Abraham. He had many sons. I'm one of them. <laughs> so are you. I never thought I'd find a place in a sermon to do Father Abraham, but maybe I just did. And, and here's the deal. Can I have one minute? Give me one minute, 60 seconds. Here we go. God comes to Abraham and says, look, I want to bless through you. I, I want every family of the earth to be blessed because of you. God says, Abraham, I want you to make the world a better place. That's, that's the story. The story is Abraham was there to make the world a better place. Fast forward to Jesus. Jesus gets in on a story. Jesus realizes he has come to make the world a better place. He says, I have not come to be served. I have come to serve. And when we understand our story, the story of us, it is the story that we are here by the grace of God, have what we have by the grace of God, all to make the world a better place. We're not here to get the credit, to point the, the spotlight on us, but to turn all of the spotlight on him, to serve him through the gifts and time and treasures he's given us to make the world a better place. So we just get to live being a blessing machine. To wake up every day finding ways to be a blessing to other people. That is an awesome way to live. We sing it. I give myself away. That's humility. That's the full life. That's the joyful life. And that's the life that will give glory to God. And I call us to just confront this enemy of our lives, pride. And cultivate the greatest friend of our lives, which is humility. And let God be elevated, God be glorified. There's a little boy, and as the worship team comes, his name is Gabriel. Gabriel was born with major uh, physical complications 
had many, many seizures throughout the day. And now he's about 14 and he can't read. He's tried to learn to even write his name, but can't get through his entire name. He can't hardly do anything, but he does have a keyboard in his room. And when he sits down to the keyboard, he can play one song and it's nearer my God to thee. Go figure that this boy with his limitations is still able to somehow with his limitations point the glory to God. But another interesting thing about him is that in trying to learn his name, which he can't get through at all, he gets through the first three letters. So he writes the capital G. When he writes the A, he leaves the little stem off of it and it looks like an O. And he always turns the B opposite so it looks like a D and he then puts a period. I don't know, his parents don't know, he always puts a period. And when he writes his name, it's G-O-D, period. God. And when I read that, I thought, isn't it amazing? Gabriel could live his life with all of his struggles and challenges. Never be able to go to college, get a master's degree, develop a skill set and stand before people. And yet, he could give God more glory than someone with all of that if they don't realize it's all grace. The heavens declare his glory. Every being in heaven declares his glory. The whole earth is filled with his glory. If they ever stop in heaven, the rocks will cry out. And in my ugly, dark heart, at times I go, I want some of that. And to strike against it is to live in harmony with people. To realize all that I am is grace, all that I have is grace. And here's another help. Is worship. G O D. Period. All that I have, all that I am, it's all God. And may it be for God, for the glory of God.